Tomorrow you're going to, Lord willing, wake up and uh, move into your day, and uh, you're going to be in a battle. The world, the flesh, the devil, uh, it's the fog of war. And uh, when you're in the fog of war, when you're at those choice points and seeking to be faithful to the Lord, it's, it's disorienting. You need something accessible. You need a word from Christ revealed in the Scriptures that will orient you to uh, reality, to locate you in real trouble, in real struggle. You're going to need something that is accessible, something simple, not simplistic, but comprehensive and simple and makes sense of your life. A word that brings you a word of hope, that promises you grace, and that calls you to your own responsibility to trust and obey. We could go lots of places. And in our Bible reading, we want to read wide and deep. But sometimes you need something simple and memorable right there at the fork in the road at that choice point when you need to follow Christ right then, right there. And you need help. I'd like to offer to you this evening a word of hope from John's Gospel, chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. For many years, God has used this passage to help me in my time of need. And I trust that He will help us all even as we consider it this evening. I'm going to be reading from the ESV translation, although I'm going to be reading from the alternate translation that you may see at the bottom of your Bible, because uh, as I'll explain a little bit later on, translators go back and forth as to which translation captures the sense uh, best. So I'm going to be reading from the alternate translation, and we'll say a word about that uh, again in a few minutes. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and let him who believes in me drink. As the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this He, Jesus, said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in Him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let me pray for us. The unfolding of Your Word gives light. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that You would open the eyes of our hearts and enable us to see who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ does for all who believe. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, I want us to consider the occasion. Secondly, we'll consider the proclamation. And finally, we'll consider John's own interpretation. First of all, the occasion. Consider the occasion. On the last day of the feast, the great day. This is the Feast of Tabernacles. Three times a year, God's people would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate God's goodness 
to them. You can read about the Feast of Tabernacles in the book of Leviticus chapter 23. It was a week-long festival, and it happened about this time of the year. In fact, the Jewish people just last week celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles from October 2nd to October 9th. It happened in the fall, in mid-October. It was a feast of thanksgiving to give thanks to God for sending the rain to bring forth the produce, the harvest of grapes and olives. But it was so much more than a feast of thanksgiving. It was a feast, on the one hand, that looked back to God's saving work in the past, and on the other hand, looked forward to God's greater work of salvation in the future. And it was a feast that was filled with vivid symbols. Three types, in fact. First of all, the people came to Jerusalem and they camped. Kids, you'll love this. I understand that folks in West Michigan love to camp. Is that right? No? I've seen, I've seen campers all over the place. People going out and camping. Happy campers. This is such a time. They came to Jerusalem and they camped in little huts made from palm, myrtle, and willow branches. And they would set up their tent and they would camp out. And it was a signpost looking back, teaching God's people, remember the exodus when I pitched my tent among you. But don't only look back to that exodus. I want you to look forward for a greater exodus. A new day when I will dwell with my people forever. Secondly, the people came daily to worship at the temple. It was a picture on earth of God's dwelling place. And it was a vivid reminder of, of Eden, the garden, and all of its beauty. And it was a signpost that on the one hand, look back, God calling His people to remember your entrance into the promised land. That's just a foretaste because I want you to anticipate a greater day, a greater entrance when I will bring you into the land of the living, back to Eden and better. And thirdly, the high priest led the people through a dramatic liturgy. The priest would take a pitcher and he would lead a procession down to the pool of Siloam. And he would dip the pitcher into the pool and then he would lead the procession back to the temple. And he would march around the altar and the people would be watching and the choir would be singing and they would be singing all of the favorites from Psalm 113, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, the great Hallel. The choir would sing and the people would shout, Lift up your hand. And the priest would pour water to the east. And then he would pour wine to the west. And the people would shout from Isaiah chapter 12, the passage from which we called ourselves to worship, you will draw water with joy from the wells of salvation. And this would happen once a day for six days. But on the last day, the great day, they would do it seven times. And it was a signpost calling God's people to look back and remember the saving waters that flowed from the rock of Moses. 
And on the other hand, a signpost that taught God's people to look forward and to anticipate the saving waters that will flow from the final temple. The prophets would stand on tiptoe and they would look down the corridors of time and they would see this final temple. Isaiah the prophet, chapter 35. Waters will gush forth in the wilderness. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Zechariah the prophet in chapter 14. On that day, living waters will flow from Jerusalem. And then Ezekiel the prophet, chapter 47. He has this vision where he begins to see from the temple this little stream. And at first it's just ankle deep. But kids... It flows and it becomes knee-deep. And then it flows some more from the temple and it gets to be waist-deep. And it continues to flow until you can swim in the river that flows from the final temple to come. And Ezekiel the prophet says, wherever the river goes, everything will live. Is that not a beautiful picture? Let me ask you this evening, before we take another step forward, are you thirsty tonight? Biblically speaking, thirst is a metaphor, a symptom of living in the wilderness, the very world in which you woke up this morning. Someone who knows herself to be thirsty knows herself to be spiritually impoverished, facing this, this double trouble. The person who knows himself to be thirsty knows that there is evil, there is hardship swirling all around him, and it comes against them. The Bible calls this the problem of suffering. And so you thirst for God's shelter and His comfort. But there's a deeper problem. There's not only the evil that comes at us, but there's the evil that rises up and flows outside of us. That's the deeper problem of sin. And you know that you thirst for God's pardon and power because you know that you are beset not only by the miseries of suffering, but also the wanderings of personal sin. Are you thirsty tonight? Do you know yourself to be living in the wilderness? Where will you go? Where will you go this week to find living water? If you are thirsty, I want you to lean forward. I want you to watch carefully because there's a person sitting down who is about to stand up. Consider the proclamation. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me, and let him who believes in me drink. 
As the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Notice two things. First of all, to the one who is thirsty, Jesus gives a command. A double command, in fact. Let the thirsty one come to me. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's speaking into your world. It's a world of rescue. Because I know and you know, no doubt, that when you are struggling with suffering, when you are struggling with sin, you can get turned in on yourself and there's this downward spiral. And Jesus speaks a word to rescue you. Because the temptation is to look in and Jesus is calling you to look up and out. He's rescuing us from the death spiral. Come to me. Come to me. Jesus knows that you and I have all kinds of options. All kinds of alternatives to the true and living one. What is it for you? Where do you turn? Do you turn to the workplace? Do you turn to this substance? Do you turn to this relationship? Where do you go? Jesus is speaking a word of hope to you and is saying, come to me. Out of all the alternatives you could turn to, come to me. Come to me. And let the one who believes in me drink. He's speaking a word to not only rescue you, but also to to refresh you. Because he understands you thirst. How do we come? Not with feet, but with faith. Personal trust, personal belief. This time, 10 years ago, it was mid-October, and uh, our family knew that my dad was dying of pancreatic cancer. And in the last week of his life, he gave me a picture of what it means to believe in Jesus. With each passing day, he would become increasingly thirsty. And he longed for a cold sip of water. And I'll never forget, he became so weak that we had to hold up the glass of water with a straw to his mouth up close, and all that he could do was to open his mouth and to receive. That's all he could do. And that's all that I can do, and it's all that you can do, and that is exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. Come to me. Drink from me. That's what Jesus means by coming and believing. The solution to all of our woes and all of our wanderings, notice, it's a relational transaction. It's a relational conversation. This is so radically different than all of the other ways of change in the world. So many models of change encourage you to look inside of yourself, dig deep, and find the resources. But Jesus says, no, come to me. Let's have an honest conversation. And so we come to him. And we talk to him. And we say to him, 
I have a desperate need. And you, you can help me. And you will help me. Because this is who you are revealed in your word. I have a need and you can help me. So I come to you. I open wide my heart to you. I receive from you. I take in what you give to me. As the psalmist puts it in Psalm 119, verse 94, it's very simple, but it's very relational. It's very profound. It's very honest. I am yours. Save me. I'm not working to earn a wage. I'm trusting to receive a free gift from you. That's the first thing. To the one who is thirsty, Jesus gives a command. But did you notice, secondly, to the one who is thirsty, Jesus gives a promise. As the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And the question is, out of whose heart? And this is where the Greek text allows for two possible translations. Some take his heart to refer to the believer, that is, the person who comes to Jesus by faith. And we see an example of that in John chapter 4, where Jesus is conversing with the woman at the well. But here, Jesus is referring to the Old Testament Scriptures. And the Old Testament Scriptures never refer to the believer as the source of living water. And what is more, in John's Gospel, we find this recurring pattern. Jesus comes to fulfill and to replace the Old Testament symbols. So, for example, Solomon built the temple as God's dwelling place in Jerusalem. But Jesus comes to fulfill. And Jesus comes to replace. God became flesh and dwelt among us, John the Apostle writes. That is, Jesus is God's true and final temple. Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And when anyone was bitten by the snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. But Jesus comes to fulfill and to replace. I must be lifted up on the cross so that everyone who believes in me may have eternal life. God sends manna from heaven to feed the Israelites in the wilderness. But Jesus comes to fulfill and to replace. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And you begin to see the pattern even fulfilled in this passage here. In the same way, Jesus comes to fulfill and to replace the Old Testament symbols. Watch closely. On the last and great day of the feast, in the midst of this dramatic liturgy, Jesus stands up and shouts out, I am the fulfillment of all that this feast commemorates and all of the, this feast anticipates. Every year, you come seeking rivers of salvation, but every year the waters run dry. But today is the day that you have anticipated because I am the better rock of Moses. I am the final temple of the living God. And from my heart, Jesus says, 
from my heart will flow to your heart, rivers of living water. Is that not the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen? From my heart, Jesus says, will flow to your heart, rivers of living water. So if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and let the one who believes in me drink. Let me ask the question again. Are you thirsty? As I've been getting to know you, I'm learning a little bit about your story, the hardships that happen to you, the struggle that wells up within you and comes out of you, the hard word that is spoken to you, it hurts. The betrayal, the hardship, you're thirsty, and you look for consolation, and Jesus gives. Or the deceitful desires that operate in my heart and your heart, and we get tripped up and trapped by indwelling sin, and we, we hurt somebody. And we wonder, can I really change? Can I really be delivered from the old to the new through the Son? Can that really happen to me? That can really happen to you. Because Jesus gives His, his very self to you to give us new desires, the very desires of the Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Where will we go to quench our thirst? Jesus gives living water that sustains sufferers and transforms sinners. First of all, the occasion. Second of all, the proclamation. Finally, consider the interpretation. The Apostle John speaking. Now this Jesus said about the Spirit whom those who believed in Him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Notice two things. The gift of living water is the Holy Spirit of the living God. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, the night before His betrayal, Jesus is speaking to His disciples and He says to them, I will ask the Father and He will give you another Helper, the Spirit of Truth. And in the next sentence he says, and I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Do you see what's happening there? The work of the Spirit is so closely identified with the person of Jesus that to have the Spirit is to have Jesus Himself. This is why Paul prays, I pray that according to the riches of Your glory, Lord, You would strengthen them with power through Your Spirit, in their inner being, so that Christ might dwell in their heart through faith. And notice, secondly, the way this gift of the Spirit comes is through the way that Jesus was glorified. Now, as you read through the Gospels, to the end, from one perspective, Jesus was most certainly glorified on Sunday when God raised Him from the dead. 
But from the Apostle John's perspective, there's something unique happening on Friday. Jesus, in John's eyes, is seen to be especially glorious on Friday when He was lifted up on the cross. Do you recall the scene that we just read about from Exodus chapter 17? The Israelites are traveling through the wilderness and they're grumbling against Moses and against God. And God commands Moses, Moses, I want you to take the rod of judgment, that same rod by which you struck the Nile. And I want you to take the rod of judgment and I want you to walk in front of the people. I don't want you to strike the people, but I do want you to walk in front of the people. And I will identify myself with the rock. And I want you to take the rod of judgment. Don't strike the people. Instead, I want you to strike the rock. And Moses strikes the rock. And out of the rock of Moses comes rivers of living water. On Friday, God did not strike His people. But He walked in front of His people with the rod of judgment And He came under the curse so that you and I might come under His blessing. Out of the death of Jesus comes life for His people. He receives the rod of judgment at the cross and the people grumbled against God in the wilderness, testing Him, saying, is the Lord for us or not? Let me ask you tonight, is the Lord for you or not? Take a long look at the one who is lifted up on the cross on Friday. On the cross, Jesus is most glorified as the Lord who is with you and the Lord who is for you. Look at Jesus trading places with you. In John chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus says, I thirst. He's going into the desert for you. He's coming under the curse for God's people. And because He comes under God's curse, believers in Jesus come under God's blessing. From the death of Jesus comes the life of Jesus, the very Holy Spirit from Jesus to everyone who believes. Are you thirsty? There's a gospel for that. For all of our thirst and our suffering. For all of our thirst and our sinning. There's good news for that. Is West Michigan not thirsty? Might we not only be recipients of these rivers of living water, but also instruments through which God continues to bring renewal to this region and beyond. So I come back to where we began. This week, you're going to find yourself living in the wilderness. And this week, you're going to find yourself thirsty. But this week, you can drink in and you can work out the grace that Jesus gives you right when and right where you most need it. How? Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord whose trust is the Lord. 
He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. And why is that? Because Jesus has lived, Jesus has been judged, Jesus has been raised, and now Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, and He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and He pours Him out upon His people. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me, and let him who believes in me drink. From my heart will flow to your heart rivers of living water. So come to Him, drink from Him, and live by Him to His glory. Let's pray. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank You that You have set forth Your Son. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank You that You have lived for us You have died for us. You have been raised for us. And you have received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and you have given Him to us. And we want to keep in step with the Spirit. We want to walk in His power. We pray this week that as we face hard relationships where we tend to run off the rails and we produce the works of the flesh, we pray that you would, you would find us right there and that we would be responsive and you would help us to understand that we have a better alternative, that you are calling us in that moment to come to you, to need you, to drink from you, to receive from you, and to walk out the grace that you give us in Jesus. Lord, We're tempted to such discouragement. Change happens so slow, it seems. But we thank you that you have given us your spirit. We pray that you would grow us up in walking in vital dependence upon him. Even, Even tomorrow, as we move into our day and do what you call us to be and do. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.